podcast and the following message come from Allianz Travel Insurance. Are you planning two or more trips in the next 365 days? An all-trips annual travel insurance plan can protect all your adventures for less. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. And welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I'm going to start today's podcast by telling you a little bit about the history of the typewriter. And I promise this has a travel application. Okay. So the first typewriter was invented in 1867 by a man named Christopher Latham Scholes, but it didn't really become a commercial product until 1874. And it took another decade for the typewriter to become widely used in offices. Part of the reason for these delays was early typewriters kept breaking. You see, the keys on them were in a different pattern, perhaps a more logical pattern. And the early typists were able to use them at such a high rate of speed that the machines kept breaking. And so the manufacturers of typewriters decided to change the order of the keys to purposefully slow typists down so that when they typed, their fingers would have to range all over the keyboard in unusual ways, and that would slow them down. Bizarrely enough, it's that slower pattern that we still have in place today. So if you're like me and you found it very difficult initially to learn how to type, there's a reason for that. There was complications built into the system early on. So what does this have to do with travel? I think I wanted to discuss this because progress isn't always progress, is it? Right now in the travel industry, we are seeing innovations that are being marketed as progress for the traveler. But I would say in many cases, they're really progress for the industry and perhaps a step back for the traveler. To help me discuss this, joining me today is Amy Tara Koch. She wrote a terrific article for the New York Times. It's called Encountering the Infuriating, Overwhelming, and Unwanted Smart Tech in My Hotel Room. Hey, Amy, thank you so much for joining me on the Fromer Travel Show. Thanks for having me. So tell me what happened in your hotel room. Well, Pauline, it wasn't just one hotel room. As, a, <laughs> as you know, as a journalist, you only get a certain amount of word count. I could have gone on for 5,000 words. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Well, the story start, kicks off. I'm high in the Swiss Alps in a actually very, very small hotel room, hotel rather. And I come back to the room after having a couple of glasses of the amazing Swiss wine. And <laughs> there's a TV on in the mirror, which is strange because number one, I'm in the Swiss Alps. Who wants to watch TV when you have the Alps outside your window? Right. And number two, it's just stupid. So I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And I had to, there actually was no telephone in my room because people think that's cool now not to have a, t a telephone. 
So I had to kind of run down, get the fresh faced young receptionist to come up and help me to get this thing off because nothing was labeled, of course, on the tablet. And uh, all was fine until 20 minutes later when I couldn't get the lights to go off. And by that time, the jet lag set in. So I took a face mask that I used on the plane and put it over my eyes and just went to sleep. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's how it is in hotels nowadays. I went to a hotel recently that was a wonderful hotel. It's actually in West Virginia, and it's specially designed to be fully accessible for people with all kinds of physical, uh, vision, hearing impairments. So that's all great. But when you walked near to the bathroom door, it automatically opened and the light went on. And I couldn't figure out how to get it closed. And so I, too, had to resort to a face mask. Now, in the last decade, a lot of hotels have been saying that these new smart innovations are really great and they're they're the best thing that could happen for the hotel. Uh, but a lot of times they're simply so that the hotel can save money, right? I agree with you. I, I think there's a real um, conflict between what the tech manufacturers and the hoteliers are doing and saying and what guests actually feel. I think AI, in a lot of ways, is usurping the personal touch. That's what bothers me the most. I was listening to your typewriter conversation, and I feel like the typewriter actually makes things easier and simplifies versus writing, whereas tablets with 15 different lighting options and voice-activated televisions and all of that are complicated. And the biggest problem is that there's not a person generally at the other end. I'm finding in hotels, another example, when I was in Miami, I, they were telling me to download the app to get pillows. Okay, there was no, I was no way I was downloading an app. It's really annoying <laughs> to download an app. Oh, totally. You, yeah, but when you get on the phone, you just get a cue and, it's in, and it goes in a circular way and you never get a person on the end of the phone. So that's the other side of this issue. Uh, a lot of these hotels are losing the human touch. Well, they're losing the human touch when you check in even. I think that was one of the first quote unquote smart tech innovations to come down the pike. They would say, you get our app, you don't even have to stop at reception, your key will be there. But what if your phone dies? You know, I I want a key. That way I don't have to always be worried about my darn phone. I agree with you. So it's interesting. There's a real divide in that because younger people, I interviewed a lot of people for this this story, and I speak to younger people all the time. They like having the accessibility from their phone and having it be really easy and not having to wait in a line. Um, They like that. And also, I think COVID really accelerated all of this contactless type of check-in and the kiosks. And somebody I interviewed in the story said, listen, there's no going back. It is the way it is. But if I I personally have a lot of questions when I check in. I want a firm pillow, number one. I'm rather high maintenance, if I don't say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to know where coffee is in the morning. I want to know, you know, there's certain things I want to know. So uh, like you, I, I prefer to have a key and I prefer to actually check in with a human. I also always want to ask for an upgrade, by the way. (laughs) Sure. Why not? This is a good way for them to get out of that conversation. So you spoke to people who actually like the tech. 
what was their reasoning? Why did they like it? What did they, what, what were some of the positives? Because I feel like we've, we've really been dishing about the negatives here. Well, first of all, Polly, let me say that all of the people who like it are under 35. Am <laughs> are you assuming I'm not under thirty five? I am absolutely not under thirty five. I, I am not under thirty five, and so right. I just I think that that there's a real age divide in that. So the younger people who have grown up on their phone, I mean, my children are the same. They sure. want. They really enjoy checking in on the app. They love this new QR code thing, which I find absolutely a, a repugnant which is taking a picture of a QR, it's a dynamically created QR code, which is on Uh the TV when you check in. And so you have the option of taking a photo of it as you would a menu in a restaurant. And it gives you, it it, it downloads um, a browser, an app to your uh, phone and allows you to, what are the steakhouses in this area, for example? What time are exercise classes? Just different ways to navigate the property and the surrounding area. Young people really like that. A young girl I interviewed went to um, Cancun. She was in her 20s and she was staying at one of those big resorts. And she said she found it so easy. She also could order room service on the app, which she liked. So that's interesting. Um, another or, or another thing you can do is you can hook into your home Netflix account or Hulu account and thus see the shows you want to see. People, yes. And that's really interesting. People love doing that. They like, you know, if they were watching The Bear at home and they want to finish The Bear, they can watch The Bear where they are. It's interesting for me personally, whenever I'm traveling, I never even turn on the TV. I never am interested. I just want to immerse myself in where I am. But lots of people I spoke to really like, they call that smart TVs, which is the ability to stream your own content that you um, subscribe to. Well, I'm actually a person who does turn on the TV if I'm abroad, mostly because I want to see what local TV is like. Because sometimes, you know, if you're in Japan and you see those wacky game shows they have on, that's a very, very Japanese experience. But that's very different than going to my usual Netflix or going to Hulu. You also spoke to people who just love lying on the bed and being able to control everything in the room. And I guess they're more tech savvy than you and I, because I, I've been in that bed and I've tried to control it from the app and I always fail. And then when you go over to say the curtain to raise it so you can look outside, you can only do it from the app often. And 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 then I fail again. I know. But here's the thing, it's interesting. I am not I'm not willing to say I hate all smart um tech in rooms. Sure. Um I feel uh, one of the, the the man that I interviewed, um, Robert from Hospitality Technology, made a great point. He said, "People, hotels have a responsibility if they want to introduce this type of tech. They have to cater to both um, levels. They have to cater to mm-hmm. the younger people that want it, but they need to balance that with people like it sounds like you're like me, people who just you know when you're older you're set in your ways. I want a light switch. I don't want that tablet with. Tw- right. I don't need twenty options for lighting. I stayed in a hotel by the way a few weeks ago, two weeks ago in Athens, and they had a lighting option called sexy. <laughs> I, was I love it. To touch it. that's hilarious oh my goodness well it's a delightful article and i've been a fan of yours for years i always i always am so happy when i see your byline because i always enjoy what you have to write 
So uh, thank you so much, Amy, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you so much. And if anybody is interested, my website is amytarakoch.com. And I post all of my work on Instagram, which is at amytarakoch. Perfect. Thank you. The following message comes from Fromer's sponsor, Allianz Travel Insurance. If you're planning two or more trips in the next 365 days, then you should think about getting annual travel insurance. One plan can cover every trip you take, weekend getaways, international vacations, spontaneous road trips, and even business travel. Get the protection trusted by more than 70 million American travelers. Get a quote at AllianceTravelInsurance.com. So, as we've said on the show before, all travel is booming right now. And that includes camping. Getting out into the wilderness became a very important vacation activity during the pandemic, and it shows no sign of slowing down. To help me discuss that, my next guest is Kevin Long. He is the CEO of The Dirt, which is spelled D-Y-R-T. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thanks for having me. Nice, nice to catch up with you, Pauline. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was shocked by the numbers. According to your recent study, 80 million Americans are going to camp this year. How did you get to that number? So, Pauline, uh, the dirt, you know, we surveyed our community and we also surveyed uh, the U.S. So we did a national survey and then we also uh, did a survey from our own community at the dirt with over uh, 3000 people responded. And our community gets, you know, close to 30 million visits a year. The dirt is a number one ring camping app. So when the dirt takes a pulse on what's happening in camping, uh, there's no better resource than the dirt. Yeah, absolutely. So 80 million people, uh, that's all, that, that could mean difficulty finding a place to park your RV or pitch your tent, right? These numbers are much higher than they were pre-pandemic. And it's not, it's not looking like it's slowing down. You know, if you look at the, the DIRT's 2023 camping report, we've been surveying our audience for years now, and we're looking at these trends. I mean, you're talking about 7 to 8 million people who camp for the first time ever happening every single year. And when it first happened during the pandemic, we're thinking, whoa, this is a a blip. What's going to happen in the future? And it's just not showing the slowing down. So all those first-time campers, are they able to pitch their tents? Are they able to understand what they need to keep their food away from bears? Are you seeing an uptick in crazy stories? That's funny. Good question, Pauline. I mean, the thing that people don't realize with camping, right? What comes to your mind at first? Camping. I'm in a tent. It's uncomfortable. It's somewhere scary, right? Especially to a non-camper. Um, at the, sure. At the dirt, when we look at camping, we are talking about everything from that experience, from tent camping in the backcountry, all the way to vehicles, all the way to glamping and uh, cabins. So, to get out in the wilderness and create a lifetime experience, we don't look at it as you have to be uncomfortable. You have to go past your uh, comfort zone. We believe 
what's the easiest and best way to get you out there and have you create a lifetime memory? Um, so wait, so wait, so wait, so wait. You're camping, you're, you're counting cabins. That seems like cheating to me. You know what? It does. It may, <laughs> it may seem like that, but let's say, let's say that's the only way you're going to get your really good friend or one of your family relatives to have that experience and get out of the city and go camping and stay right. in a cabin. That's a great start. And you know what we've seen then? People get more comfortable. Okay, well, now let's step it back and let's let's do a glamping safari tent where you go into the tent. It has heat if it's a cold time of year. It has beds. It's very comfortable. Then let's work our way back, right? So you can you can work from different directions in camping, and there's so much variety. You know, the big thing is wake up in the morning, walk outside. You're in the woods. You just had a very different experience from your neighborhood or the city you live in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you also look at who the avid campers are. And I thought this was really, really interesting. You said that they're either under the age of 24 or over the age of 55. Why do you think the people in the middle aren't camping as much as the old folks are and the young folks are? That was a really interesting stat for us. Um, and, and that was really interesting to help us find like, okay, the majority of people uh, camping at the dirt are either in this lower age bracket or they're in this higher age bracket. The middle yeah. just aren't there. I, you know, the thing that the only thing we can chalk it up to is people get busy with life and careers and kicking off families. And I think that sure. goes down. And, and I see that a lot at the dirt, even with our employees is people have kids and start a family and kind of get settled and buy a new house. And then once they're settled in, then they get back into camping. So I think sometimes there's a little bit of lull. The other thing, though, with that stat is camping of people 45 years and older has exploded. And part of that huh. is was the extreme growth in vehicle purchases from mm. vans you can camp in to RVs you can camp in to trailers you can camp in. And it's made it much more comfortable, much more um, accessible for people that are 45 years older who may not necessarily uh, want to get into a tent anymore. Sure. And another surprising stat from your study was people are camping not because they have to camp, not because they can't afford a hotel room, because the people in your study have a pretty high average annual salary, right? Yep, that's true. You know, and, and Pauline, when we survey these people 45 years or older, you know, the, a, a big majority of them have purchased these vehicles. These aren't cheap vehicles. We're not talking about, you know, $25,000 vehicles here. We're talking about like six-figure expense vehicles. And so when they're looking at camping, it's not so much an alternative to, I can't afford to get on an airplane anymore. I think a big shift that happened that we saw at the dirt after COVID was people just reevaluating their lives and saying, what's important huh. to me? You know, sure, I like to zip off to Vegas and have a nice day at a poolside. You know, what's also nice is waking up and having a new experience that you've never had in the woods. And people are doing that mm. in a variety of different ways. Yeah. But it is harder to find a campground site. In fact, according to your survey, people are finding it five times harder than it was pre-pandemic. So what's the advice? How do people find a place to park their RV or pitch their tent? 
Yeah, the, the number one complaint that we got from the community at the dirt was, especially if you're camping at state parks or national parks, they're sold out. I can't get a spot. It was our number one complaint. And so what we did is we created the dirt alerts where users, you go on the camp on, on looking for the government websites, they're all sold out. They're sold out yeah. months in advance. What you can do at dirt alerts is you put in, here's the date I want to go. Uh, and I want to go to any of these three campgrounds. We sit there and scan for cancellations. And as soon as someone cancels, we send you a text message to your phone. Hey, Pauline, the campground you wanted on the date you wanted, someone just canceled, go grab that reservation. So huh. yeah, the, the reality, Pauline, is that these campgrounds, they're sold out, but they're not full. Go drive Ooh. around these campgrounds and you'll see you don't have 100% occupancy. People make their plans months and months in advance, and then those plans shift. Summer plans change. It's really hard to make those those early reservations. Cancellations happen all the time. And at The Dirt, we help people grab those cancellations so we can maximize these beautiful state parks and national parks that are a resource for all of us to experience. Well, I was reading somewhere, I can't remember where, that one of the big problems with camping is, as you said, people make these reservations months in advance, but a campsite is not that expensive. And so a lot of people don't even cancel. They just don't show up. And so that might be also part of it. And I've read that many campgrounds are thinking of penalizing people who do this too often. If you make a national park site uh reservation and you don't cancel and you don't show up three times, you may be barred in the future uh, for making another reservation. Do you think these penalties are going to come in? You know, um, I've read about these penalties and I do believe that there's a piece of, of truth to them and that situation happens. But here's another stat that we found is that when users on the dirt sign up for a dirt alert at a sold out campground, over 50% of the time, they get a notification from us. Hey, there was a cancellation. Uh. Someone opened up. So what we learned after watching the stats on it is over half of these campgrounds that you want to camp at on the dates you want to camp at that are sold out, over half of them end up getting a cancellation before your trip. Oh, well, that's good. That's great to hear. So, uh, are so they are, it is happening. They are, they are yeah. saying, hey, I want to get my refund back. Well, that's good. You guys also looked at which are the best campgrounds. And this kind of surprised me that you put Denali National Park's Wonder Lakes Campground at the top of the heap. I would think that the vast majority of your users have never been there because not that many people get to camp in Alaska. How did that become the top website, uh, not website, top campground? We actually we originally put that out, and then we did a, a correction on that. It, we meant to put <laughs> Tekanika, but it is in Denali National Park. And have you ever been to Denali National Park? I have. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's and and you know that feeling when you just are walking into there, and your 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 mind can almost not comprehend everything that you're seeing because it is so vast and it is yeah. so big. I mean, that's such a little dumb word, big, but it's such a great way to explain it. 
So it's well, and it's it's also so free of human beings because there's only one road in, yep. really, and around the park, and you have to be on a National Park Service uh, bus to get around, and so yep. you really can get away from humanity there. It, absolutely, absolutely, it's a really big one. But you know, there's some other ones on the list. That, but wait, before we leave that, yeah. how did it get to the top? Who voted for it or what were the what were the parameters for choosing it? So what we do is when we look at the the um the best places to camp, we imagine that the dirt business itself is a person. And we say, let's go look at the campgrounds that have had the most activity and have had the most highly qualified reviews. And then let's compare those different reviews from a, a short list that we pull together. And then let's think about the dirt as we are a person and we want to go camp at these places. And what are people saying and what are we seeing from it? So I see. It's, I see. It's based on these community reviews. And you can see that. Like when you go to this campground that you're talking about in Denali National Park, you're talking about 12 different reviews, dozens and dozens of pictures. You take a look at these pictures on the dirt and you're like, when am I going to go there? Yeah. All right. And your second one was Voyagers National Park in Minnesota, another place of just unspoiled beauty. Tell our listeners a little bit about Voyagers and, and what made that campground, what gave it the silver? Yeah. So I was not a part of pulling of these judging things, but I will say uh, myself and my co-founder, my wife, we're both from Minnesota, so we have some partiality to this <laughs> um, campground. Sure, uh, you know the Minnesota, right? You have you have some t- tough weather in the Midwest there, but oh, you hit those right weeks, you hit that right experience, and it is just unbelievable. One thing that's interesting about the Voyeurs National Park, all the campsites, the front country and the back country require travel by water to get to them. Mm. So right. I'm talking about you get in a canoe and uh, you are traveling uh, through the lakes to, to make it to there. Now that's a really great experience of you put everything in your canoe, you're, you're traveling across water. And <clears throat> that's one thing that Minnesota is really known for to land at 10,000 lakes and to really yeah. experience that. Now, you got to be a tent camper. You got to be willing to sleep on the ground. You can do right. that comfortably. You get an air pad, you get comfortable. But that's a that's a wild experience of you can look at the pictures on the dirt of these campgrounds. You're literally waking up on the edge of a lake. You are not hearing vehicles, right? Mm. You're not hearing the sound of traffic because everybody boated there. To- right. Amazing. Amazing. Your third one, your bronze medal winner, was a place I've never heard of, Palo Duro Canyon. And this was a state park, not a national park yeah. in Texas. Um, what can you tell us? What, why why is that so great? Well, it's it's the second largest canyon, uh, canyon in the country uh, lies ah. there. So that's one thing. And when you're in these canyons, what we saw from our reviewers and our pictures, I mean, this campground it has 126 reviews on the dirt, right? That's a lot of people that have gone and reviewed it and a ridiculous amount of pictures. And the things that we're noticing from it is you're going to have these, when you have these huge canyons, you have these unbelievable views because the sun is changing 
all day huh. in different periods of time. And it's hitting these rock formations. And uh, the experience from that is, is what helped it make the list. Wow. It sounds amazing. Did you have a particular favorite on the list? You know, uh, I am... Hopefully, You're agnostic. Hopefully none of my Minnesota friends are listening right now, but I am going to say <laughs> it's, it's number five. And uh, Glacier National Park for me is one of the best places to go camping. The number five one on the list was Many Glaciers Campground. And uh-huh. um, what we're talking about, you know, is why I like Glacier so much is you get this like huge, big vastness of Alaska, but it's a little bit easier to get to. It's huh. a little bit more accessible. And I feel like it's a little bit more diversity. You know, everybody has a different opinion on that, but I think the nature just has a little bit more variance there. And you still have that like amazingly big, epic experience. Um, if any of your listeners have not been to Glacier National Park, that's the number one that I would say, put it on your list. And you know what? There's places to stay around there that are cabins. And you can also get your tent and do the deep backcountry and go hiking for days. Pick whatever's comfortable to you, but get there and experience it. And you will never forget it. You know how many vacations you go on and you kind of some blur together? Go to Glacier National Park. You'll never forget it. Hmm. And uh, I would have to say also, it's one of those places that is changing drastically because our climate is changing drastically. And so it's it's one you want to see before all of the glaciers disappear. I don't want to end this on a bummer, but I, I think that's that's clear. Yeah. I mean, you have to really consider that. You know, we, we saw um, people's plans are changing. You're talking about wildfires are becoming a much bigger thing. Storms are becoming much bigger things. Yeah. Uh, and you really got to think about that when you're going camping much differently than you had to five, 10 years ago. Um, we're seeing that one in five of the dirt users uh, had their plans uh, interrupted uh, because Ooh. of uh, weather, right? And, wow. and it, was a, it was a big, big jump from two years ago. Um, and so it's really interesting when we survey you know, our you know, millions of users across the U.S. and we compare that year over year we can see these trends happening. And so we can definitely back that, that that's happening as well. So make sure you think about weather when you're thinking Mm -hmm. about these incredible locations. Yeah. Excellent advice. And thank you so much. It's been a a really fun conversation and and a fascinating study. So bravo to you. And, And thanks again for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Before I go, though, I want to discuss a couple of articles we have up on Fromers.com that I think are really, really helpful to travelers that that actually may impact how you plan and execute your next vacation. Some are a little depressing. For example, Colorado State University researchers who are at the top of the field are now saying that earlier predictions for the 2023 hurricane season were off. Initially, scientists predicted that this was going to be a pretty mild hurricane season because of El Nino. Now they think, because of the heat of the oceans, that that may may wipe out 
any of the El Nino effect. And instead of having fewer hurricanes this year, we could have up to 18. So if you're considering going to Florida, if you're considering going to parts of the Caribbean in uh, September and October, because uh, that's the height of hurricane season traditionally, you, you may want to reconsider your plans. As well, there could be more delays and cancellations in Europe. They are having the same type of airline pro- problems we are having here in the United States. But it's not all bad news. If you're going to Paris and you want to go to Versailles, you should know that the rooms of Marie Antoinette, uh, the private apartments of that fabled queen, have been just open to the public for the first time. And not many people will know about that. And so when you go to Versailles, you may get a less crowded experience by visiting the Trianon, which was her private chalet, and those newly opened rooms. Another bit of good news, across the industry, people were saying that there was going to be a massive fine in Dubrovnik for people who rolled their wheeled luggage along the cobblestone streets. Well, that bizarre rumor was started because the city of Dubrovnik did put out a video asking visitors to be more polite about how they acted in the city, but they never put in place a fine. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, These are just a couple of the articles that we have up on Fromers.com. I think you'll really enjoy them. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, tell your friends and, and please you know, put up a ranking on Apple Podcasts for us. Put up a rating, I should say. We want to make sure that this podcast gets out to all the travelers who might be interested in the types of information we share. Okay, that's it for me. I thank you so much, as always, for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage.